Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today my guest is Jed Hancock. Jed, welcome. Thank you, Grover. Appreciate you being here in the home. Glad to be here. You bet. We've known each other for many years now, and let me just kind of give you some of my thoughts to get this jump started. A okay. Bit. One of my biggest thoughts as I think about you is how service-oriented you are. That's one of my thoughts. The other thought is you just are that kind of personality. You're just so kind to people. And I thought, this is what we need more of in the world today. People who are kind, people who give of themselves to others. How does that work with you? Where'd that come from? Oh, thank you. That was quite a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, my grandfather was a very kind person. And he was someone that I really looked up to. I made a lot of mistakes growing up. You know, as all young kids do. Right. I was a teenager, and my mom was grateful I, I lived past 17, so she didn't have to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up working for him. I remember being a young kid, and he called me at home. And I, you know, 14, 12, somewhere in that age. And, you know, 12-year-old kids, they ain't got much to do, and they get themselves in trouble. And uh, Grandpa called me and said, you need to come up, and you need to run a tractor. You know, we got hay to haul and I don't have any help. So my mom gathered me up and he hauled me up and uh, he and I worked together from that point forward until I left on my mission. His capacity for love was very, very high. Wasn't a real active member of the church. You know, he was a member, but he drank and he smoked and he was a really good man, you know. And so I've always wanted to be like him and he would make deals with my parents. Like when I turned 14, my grades weren't good in high school. And he told me that if I got my grades up, he'd go to bat for me, help me get a pickup and make sure I got driver's ed taken care of. Cause my mom was against me going. And uh, grandma said, you get your stuff taken care of. I'll take care of you. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so a lot of the reason that I, I've always wanted to be nice. I've been around mean people a lot. And one of the hardest things in this world is to be like Christ. He was always in the service of those around him and who loved him. And so he is the perfect example of how we should be. And so those are the two people that I really try hard to be like, don't forget that I'm human and I make big mistakes. We all do. We <laughs> <Okay>. all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but being able to be like my grandfather is what helped me go on that path. Okay. So now you've got your family of your own. What are some of the attributes that your grandfather showed you that you are now passing along to your kids? Well, he was always willing to see the good in things. You know, he, he was a pretty savvy business guy, but what he taught me was that if you show love and teach your kids, mm -hmm. you know, the number one thing that he was doing for me, and I didn't realize it at 14 years old, was he was getting me out and working. He would come and pick me up in the morning. My uncle had just started at Ken Hall. Mm -hmm. He had just started a dairy out in Territon, and Grandpa would come and pick me up every Saturday morning at 3 o'clock in the morning and drive me out, and I'd work until the second milking, which was usually around 4 o'clock. So we'd work from 3 a.m. to 4 p.m. and then go home, mm -hmm. and that was what my Saturdays consisted of, and I, I remember thinking, this sucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just talking about Wyatt right before you came and 
What I've tried to do with my kids is we have a little farm. I would call it just a in-town farm. We have 20 chickens mm -hmm. and we have three dogs. And that's the extent of our farm. But the reason that we have chickens previous to this shortage of eggs, we weren't saving any money by raising chickens. But right. what I told my wife was, is what we're raising kids. And for me, it takes responsibility to grow. And, you know, where we live in a small neighborhood, there's not a lot of opportunities to grow and to learn and develop. People outside of the rural areas don't have those opportunities. Right. And so we thought that if we could teach our kids at a young age, we got chickens when Abby, our youngest, was three. And we've had chickens ever since. And they have to go out and feed the chickens. They have to water the chickens. And that's a daily responsibility. And my third youngest boy, Wyatt, he was playing Xbox today with one of his friends that's over. And I went downstairs this morning after I got up and I said, boys, I said, I need you, because it's so cold, I need you to go out and check on the chickens. And you need to go out two or three times today because it's so cold, we'll freeze all the eggs. And then the chickens won't have water either. And so I told Wyatt, I said, you need to go out at 10 and get eggs, then go back out at noon and check for eggs and go back out at like three or four and check for eggs. Well, he did it once. He went out at 11 and he brought in their frozen water containers and left them in the house on the floor. And they have chicken crap all over the bottom of them. Mm -hmm. And so I had to get after him. And I, that's the number one thing I hate doing is getting after kids because it doesn't make me feel good. But the thing that I've learned from reading my scriptures is that the Savior said that we need to reprove at times with sharpness, but afterwards show an increase of love. And I've tried really hard to do that. My wife's name is Karen. Karen and I have tried really hard not to, we spanked our kids up till five years old. I made, her and I made a commitment together that after they turned five, you could reason with your kids. And they probably, for the most part, won't remember a lot of spankings. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So once they're five, we just take privileges away. And we love to give kids privileges because the more privileges they have, the more you can take away. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it that way. <laughs> well, that's horrible. That came from a movie, but I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But we've been able to slowly work with our kids and be able to teach them Right before I came over here, uh, Karen and I decided that we're going to ground Wyatt off of his Xbox for two weeks until mm -hmm. he can do the things that he needs to because that kid's going to go to school someday. And if he gets up to college and has the problem that the college kids have that spend all their time on the Xbox and he likes to be on the Xbox, if he isn't taught that responsibility comes before play, which is what my grandfather taught me, as long as I worked hard, I could play just as hard as I wanted to after the fact. Right. And the problem that I've got with Wyatt is that he wants to play before he does the work. And so he'll get up early, early in the morning to get on the Xbox, but he won't do his chores. And so for us, we're going to make this miserable for him, unfortunate for him to teach him to make sure that he knows what his responsibility is. And then, so we're going to ground him for two weeks. And then after that, that's up to him. If he hasn't picked up and learned the lesson by them, that's fine. We'll go another two weeks. Mm -hmm. And we'll we'll go two weeks at a time until he learns it because if he doesn't learn it now, once he's out of the house, he's never going to learn it unless it's hard taught by society. And I think it was President Monson that said, uh, we need to teach our kids while they're at home, while they have a safety net. He said, because society will teach your kids, but it's not in a loving way. I mean, they're going to go to jail. They're going to have problems like that. And President Monson said, if we 
do anything, the number one thing we need to do is teach our children while they're young so that they can learn and make mistakes in a safe environment. And so that's what we're doing with Wyatt. Yeah. And in reality, we all know this, and we learned it even as we've grown older, but we become more aware that life's not fair. Yeah. And, you know, whoever gives us the notion that it is, is wrong. I would agree with that. So teaching your children at home while they're young might save them a little heartache in the long run. Absolutely. And in my opinion, I think it'd save them a lot. And the reason why is because if your parents are dedicated to doing what, let's let's strip away all of society's BS and let's get down to what the purpose of our life here is. The purpose in our life is to get back to God. And we are responsible as parents to educate our kids as much as possible so that they can have that opportunity to grow and develop and to get back to God. And if we don't do those things, if we if we let our kids do whatever they want and don't teach them the lessons that they need to, we live in a world that's absolutely easy to do that. I could let Wyatt play on the Xbox all day long. I could let Abby hang out with her friends all day long. And sometimes that's okay, but as a whole, it's an injustice to your kids. And that's my opinion. Because I just, I don't see society making the hard choices. You know, it's really easy to have some friends. Karen and I had one of our very first fights. Um, well, I shouldn't say first, but one of the first with the kids is that I, I wanted the kids to load the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe that my wife should be the slave of our house. And she and I had a real go around because she didn't want the kids to break things. You know, she didn't want them to put them in the dishwasher wrong and they, they fall off the tray or any of those things. And I said, honey, I said, I know that you can do it better. I know that you can do it faster, but we're raising kids. And her and I have had a really fun time with our kids. We have a wonderful relationship with our kids. We have four kids. Mason is our oldest son. Morgan is our second. And Wyatt's our third boy. And Abby's our little girl at the end. And we have had an opportunity because we've spent so much time together doing the things that we wanted to do as a family. We all work hard first, and then we go play. And we want to play hard because we've worked hard. And so that's been a really rewarding thing to us. Mason's at school. He's getting good grades up at college. We don't, we don't have to call him and say, well, what are you doing? He comes home and says, I've got this many things going on. We're like, do you want to go camping You know, next weekend? We do a lot of camping during the summer, and he'll tell us, no, he can't come. He needs to get his homework done. So he's able, unlike Wyatt, to prioritize at 19, what needs to be done, and then he can play afterwards. And so he's willing to sacrifice to get to where he needs to. And so that's one of the funnest things that we've been able to do is to enjoy that time with them and watch them grow and sacrifice and make the choices that's going to help them. Oh, that's good. I'm trying to think of that saying. The only thing worse than thinking that the world is fair is the belief that it should be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you're teaching them at a young age right now, like we just spoke about a minute ago, everything I've just heard you say appears to be out of love to help them to be good, responsible people when they get older. That's right. Well, and, and it's selfish too. I don't want to raise my grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> I want to enjoy my grandkids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. So you've had some setbacks with your health in the past few years Yeah. that have kind of caused you to rethink and maybe reconsider and maybe look at life a little bit differently. 
you mind talking a little bit about that and how you've managed to still be that person that helps others, even though you're going through your own struggles? Yeah, you'll have to keep me on track. I'm going to wander a little bit here. <laughs> me too, so we're, we're okay. <laughs> okay. My health problems, I never thought I'd be in this situation, honestly. My youth growing up, like I said, I was always able to work. My grandpa was able to teach me how to work well, and my parents helped foster that along. And uh, the vision I had for myself was that I would always be able to work and take care of my family. And when we found out that I had a a bad valve in my heart, um, I had a mitral valve that had prolapsed. And as I got older, you know, I, I was probably 35, 36 when we found out that I had this. When they went in and and looked at it, they thought, ah, it's not a big deal. We'll be able to fix this and you should be back to a hundred percent. And so they do this, uh, what they call a mini heart surgery where they, they go underneath your right arm, separate your ribs, deflate your lung, and then go in and fix your heart in place. They don't have to crack your chest down the middle. And the way it sounded to me is that we'd be in and out and I'd be back up and running. Well, it didn't turn out to be that way. They were able to repair the valve, and their answer to me was that it would be fixed for good, and it only lasted four years. And so, you know, I had over a year's worth of recovery and, and recovered, but was probably 75%, not, not 100%. And my health just, I just couldn't get it back, and I was having a difficult time doing things. And so slowly... Over those four years, I just continued to go downhill. And I'd been working with the cardiologist, and he was, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, you just need to do more rehab. You're going to be fine. Well, I had a, a follow-up appointment with him, and I was like, hey, listen, I am not doing well. And he's like, okay, well, we'll put a thing they call it a week-long monitor on you where you have to wear a monitor that monitors your heart. So I wore that for a week. And uh, we took that back in, and he said, you're in trouble. He said, we need to go do another echo and check your heart. So we went in, and they looked at my heart, and they said, the repair that was done didn't didn't work, didn't hold, and so we're going to have to do a replacement this time. And so rather than do I, the original surgery we did here in Idaho Falls, and I wanted to do it here because my kids came every day, and I would say they wanted me to walk every day, and just once a day, but I had to walk. And I would tell the, the nurses that I wouldn't walk until my kids got there because I wanted to go with them. And so I would walk every day with my kids. And that's the reason why we wanted to do it in Idle Falls, so I could be home with the family. And I was in the hospital for nine days when that one happened. Well, when it came back and we had to replace, we decided we were going to the University of Utah. And we went there, and they split my chest this time went in and cut the valve out and then replaced it with a flesh valve. They said at my age, the flesh valve only lasts about 20 years. Um, But they said at my age, where I want to be active and do things, if I cut myself with a fake valve, because I'd be on blood thinners, I could bleed to death, like in the backyard or something. Previous to this, I really enjoyed hunting and being outside and going and cutting firewood and those types of things. And so... We went with a flesh valve. It was a great experience at the University of Utah. If anybody has heart problems, go there. I wish I'd have gone there first. The recovery there was twice as easy. And I was in the hospital seven days, but 
they got me back up on my feet really quickly. And I'll, I'll share a story with you that I, I haven't told very many people this. So I got in, had surgery, and I'm not a very good patient. <laughs> We've talked about, I, you think I'm a loving person, but when I come out of <laughs> anesthesia, I want to rip everything out of my, all the needles, everything's coming out when I wake up. So when I was coming out of surgery, I started pulling my tube out of my mouth. I started pulling the IVs out of my arms and they're like, holy crap. So they put me back under and I was under for another eight hours. And, um, at that time it was COVID and Karen couldn't come in and see me. They wouldn't let her in the hospital. And so they put me back under and they had to wait eight hours for me to wake up again. But my body had decided it it wasn't going to handle the pain. That's essentially what was going on. So they kept me on ketamine, which is a really strong painkiller. They kept me on ketamine for two days after that. And I mean, Grover, it was bad enough that they gave me a pain button that I could push. And so if I was having pain, I could just push that button. And I was so, and this is, this is awful. I was so high out of my mind that I was hallucinating things. And, uh, I remember laying there in bed and this is one of the things that stuck with me really, really well. I remember laying there in bed and thinking to myself, I was having these hallucinations, but I kept thinking about Heavenly Father. And I kept asking the question, I'm like, Heavenly Father, do I have to stay here? And I distinctly remember him going, Jed, and this is probably a hallucination, but it's just stuck with me. I remember him saying, Jed, if you want to come home, you can come home. You've done enough. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't. I want to, but I can't. I've got to be there to see my little girl get married. I've got to be there to take care of Karen. And so I remember telling him, my father, in my mind, I said, I'm going to stay and I'm going to do the work that needs to be done because I need to be here for my kids. Now, that being said, my health hasn't been to where I've been able to physically take care of my family. I haven't been able to work. I haven't worked in two years, not any real work. I'll go and help Karen. You know, we cut down trees for a living. So I'll go and help Karen make sure trees get down safe and stuff like that. But the bulk of my days is spent at home on my bed or doing a little bit of PT every day. I just started physical therapy back up again. And it has been really hard, really hard to keep myself in an uplifted, you know, positive, everything's going to be okay mentality. And I've asked God for a very long time, even before I had any health problems, I just want to be a good person. You know, when I was young, I had a lot of anger issues. I was very angry and I didn't know how to direct that. So I just ended up, I lashed out at everybody and I've never liked that about myself. Even when I was young, I didn't like that because I'd say things and instantly regret it. And so as time's gone on, I've always asked Heavenly Father, you know, I'll say something to somebody. And I'm like, oh, gosh, dang it, I'm better than that. You know, and so I'm like, Lord, will you please just help me get over this trial? And he's been able to, through pain, actually, teach me more patience. 
And we have to look at our lives like that. This life is a time for men to prepare to meet God. We learned that in the Book of Mormon. And I have to take every opportunity that I have to do what the Lord wants me to do. And I make a lot of mistakes along the way. But he is he's laid the road out, and he's put his hand in mine, and he's helped me walk that road. And there's times that I do ignorant stuff, and I lose my grip on the Savior's hand, but I always try and come back. It's a hard process. It really is. But if you really want to be a son or a daughter of God, you've got to try every day. I remember on my mission, they had this this saying that it doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It only matters how many times you get back up. And so I've taken that with me ever since my mission that you're going to fall down, bud. Just get back up. And that's what the Lord expects. He doesn't want you to lay there. Get up. Try again. You're going to screw up. That's why the Savior's here. That's why we have the atonement of Jesus Christ, because he... He will make up the distance that we can't walk with the Lord. And you've been able to kind of learn that over the last few years. Yeah. But Jed, when you have your lowest of lows, what's that like for you going through those low, low points? Oh, that's hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and if this helps somebody, I'm more than willing to share it. The lowest of lows is awful. You and I are good friends, have been for quite a while. Yes. And it's easy for me to put a smile on my face and and hang out with you, Grover, and say, everything's all right. And I'm really good at lying when it comes to that stuff. Uh, You you know from personal experience, we both can put on that fake smile, and it's exhausting, you know. Thankfully, we, I have a friend like you that I can actually talk to about what the real problems are. Because yeah, we can understand one another. Exactly. Because we've been through similar right. lows. And on the lowest of my lows, I don't want to be here. Here as in? I don't want to be. On the earth? Right. Yeah. When I have the lowest of my lows, I think my wife could marry another person and be financially a lot better off. You know, my kids, they don't need to see me stuck in a bed, you know miserable, you know, just those are the lowest of the lows. I just, I can't see myself being what I need to be because I measure, I always have measured my worth on my ability to produce. And that's a job of a man. We're supposed to produce for our families. We're supposed to protect. We're supposed to serve. That's what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And Heavenly Father in his ability to make me a better person has taken the ability for me to be that protector. I mean, I can still do it, but it's it's a different way. You know, like we were talking about with Wyatt, my ability to protect now is to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, I can teach my kids that I love them and that they, to be successful in life, have to struggle, you know. And so that's become my responsibility now. And that gives me a little bit more purpose. All right. But how do you pull yourself out of that, because that sounds like that's, we talk about the depth of things. That's yeah. at the bottom. That, that is at the bottom. How do you pull yourself up out of that? Well, I have to be willing to talk to my wife. That's where the strength comes from. God didn't give us a companion to, you know, be there to cook and raise kids and things like that. The thing that, that needs to happen in marriage and family relationships is that you need to get to a point as a spouse, whether you're male or whether you're female, you've got to be willing to open up 
and this is this sounds so cliche it really does but you got to be willing to open your heart and let your wife in and what i mean by that is you have to tell her when you're in trouble i mean i have diabetes and I've, i have pots on top of that and i've had to learn to tell karen when i'm in trouble uh, whether it's spiritually or whether it's physically i've had to be willing to tell her and to suck up my pride and to put it in my back pocket and say karen i need help mm-hmm. because there's times that i can't get out of bed to make it to the bathroom like i'll pass out and so i mean i'm a six foot two 260 pound guy and my poor little wife is helping me to the bathroom to make sure that I'm okay, you know, or she's getting me food or any of those things. And she, she's awesome. She's blunt and she's sassy. And I, I love it because she tells me, she's like, I can't help you unless you tell me what's going on. Right. And that's the hardest thing is to open ourselves up. I don't, did you struggle with that Grover? Oh yeah. To an extent. And yeah. I think part of that just for me anyway, was pride. Yeah. You know. As males, that's uh-huh. we're supposed to do those things. Yeah. And when that's taken away from us, I I don't respond well to that. Yeah. I can kind of understand what you're talking about right there. But why does it take something like this to get us to the point, me, you, mm-hmm. to open up emotionally and share our feelings with our spouses? Because we're proud. Really, you hit it right on the head when you said you and I have a pride problem. We do. We want to be the provider and the male and the one in charge in the family. And it is so difficult to let that go because we don't want them to see us as victims. I really hate that word. Dan Wadsworth probably said it best. He doesn't ever want to be labeled as an invalid. And he says, if you break that word down, it means invalid. And... I've always felt like I've been valid, but when we're not capable of doing our preset thing in life, we feel invalid. We do. Yeah. And that's never hit me so hard as when Dan told me that. Mm -hmm. And that's been a great learning opportunity for me. So I have to learn that I have value, even though I can't do the pre-prescribed thing that we're supposed to do in life. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. So if you could speak to someone who is going through similar issues as you, who feels that way, who perhaps has had thoughts of just not wanting to be here, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them to get them through this? It's so simple, and it doesn't feel simple at the time. You, You know that just like I do. The simplest thing you can do to make yourself feel valid is to read your scriptures and pray. And it sounds so simple that no one wants to do it, me included. You know, I I get down and I'm like, I'm not reading my scriptures. I'm not going to church. I'm not, you know, you pull back and alienate yourself. And that's the worst thing you can do. You should do the opposite. You should look for help. You don't have to be, this one thing I really hate. I hate talking to old people that all they want to talk about is their problems. Like you mean health problems? Yes. Oh, you know, oh my, I won't go into it, but. The, the, re, the point being that I've never wanted to do that. But you have to be willing to bridge the gap between not wanting to talk about your problems and not complaining every time someone asks you about it. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And so the thing you need to do is you need to be open and willing enough to go, I need help. This isn't the center of my life, but it is right now. So I've got to change that. And so to pull yourself from that position, you need to seek out the Lord. It's the only way you're going to make it. 
that's the only way I've made it. You know, for a long time, we were able to watch church on YouTube. I've got to the point where I won't even watch it on YouTube anymore because I don't feel the spirit like I do when I go to church. Mm-hmm. And I need that spirit. So last Sunday is a perfect example. I was in so much pain sitting in church that I, I take a water pill, so I got up twice to go to the bathroom in the middle of a sacrament meeting. And the third time I got up, I was in so much pain, I had to have one of my boys take me home. But I am willing to endure pain and difficulty to get the Spirit, because that means the most to me out of anything, because that's when I can be calm. I always have a storm of chaos in my head, uh, very negative thoughts. You know, I'm not taking care of my family. I'm not working and providing, you know, uh, money for the home. And I constantly think about the negative things I've done in my life. And it's Satan. It really is. He's the one that's putting those thoughts in my mind. And I have to make a conscious decision. And I think this is what the Lord wants us to do because we're going to be held accountable for this. We have to make a conscious decision to go, I'm not going to stay here. I've got to seek the Lord. And he's given us every tool to do it. Whether you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Catholic or Baptist, you seek the Lord in whatever religion you're in because the Lord is there. And we we all have one God, and he's the same God for all of us. And he wants us to seek him out. And that's why we have trials and tribulations in this world. And... If we don't seek him out, that proves to him that at that time, and I I wouldn't say it's a final judgment, but it proves to him that you're not willing to put the effort out. So there's going to be more difficulty that comes. And because God teaches us best through trials. And that's one thing that I've learned is that the trials just, they keep coming, it seems like, all the time. And And I know a lot of people that have felt like this, just you can't win. You know, you get one thing straightened out, you're down again. But it's because the Lord's trying to teach us something. So we need to take a step back and look at the trial that we're having and go, okay, how does this help me? Because I've had to do that. We've had conversations about this before. If we don't take the time to look at our situation and try and nail down the idea of what we're supposed to learn, what's the message? You know, it's like us teaching our kids. And me being a father has been the best teaching tool I've ever had for myself. Because I can look at my kids and go, I love you so much. And I don't want you to go through what I had to go through. I think that's why parents ultimately make the mistake of over spoiling their kids, giving them everything. Overcompensating. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. They overcompensate because they remember how tough it was back then. And so they don't want their kids to endure that. You know, that's every parent feels that way. If I could prevent you from suffering, I want to do that. And the suffering is what makes us who we are. You know, the if you think about the Savior, he suffered every day he was here. You know, there wasn't a day that someone wasn't trying to tell him he was a false god or a false prophet, you know, and that he was doing Satan's work on the Sabbath. I mean, they constantly ridiculed him. And he was able to, because he's perfect— overcome all of those trials. And that's how come he can perfectly sucker us in our trials because he's perfect and we're not. And so if you look for the hand of God in your life, rather than just say, this is the hand I've been dealt, I'm just going to have to, I can either deal with it or I can kill myself. Those are the two choices that really come into your mind. Um, And if you can get to the point where you go, okay, I've got to learn rather than 
have this subjected to me. Mm-hmm. That's not the right word, but I don't know. It made me think of Jonah. Jonah ran from his problem, and what did God do to him? Yeah, none of us have been stuck in the belly of a well, you know. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, think about that trial that he had. I mean, you talk about hopeless. That's hopeless. Mm-hmm. How am I going to get out of this thing? And so we've got to overcome, and we've got to use our brains, and we've got to understand the fact that God wants us to be here. And the thing that you'll learn from that is humility. Mm-hmm. And if you can be humble, you can love people. You know, you can love those around you. The best thing that's ever happened to me is that my wife and I, we own our own business and we bought a tractor. And that tractor has been the best thing for me because I can't do a lot of physical things anymore, but I can go to the neighbors and scrape their driveway in the winter. That brings me so much joy. I usually pay for it by the time I'm done and I'll be down for a couple of days, but I can go to the neighbors and I can help them clean the driveways out. And there's other people that have other problems and need to get out of their homes. And so that's how I can serve, even though I can't physically do the things I want to. Right. Last thing here I'll ask you about, Jed. Obviously, you're going through these trials, but it also impacts the little ones that are in your home, your children who love you so much and watch what you go through. And sometimes we forget that because not, I'm not saying this is you, but I think sometimes people are trying so hard to get through their problems that it's easy to overlook the feelings that other people might be having. What would you like to tell your children about the last few years that you've gone through? Oh, that's a hard one. I think I'd like to tell them I'm sorry from the standpoint that we talked about I had anger issues when I was younger. I, I haven't beat that completely. So I get angry when I can't do things. And I'll yell at the kids. And I'm like, instant regret. Serious, like instant. And I think, oh, I cannot be like this. I, I have got to be better than I am. And so for my kids, I, I would like to apologize to them because they're the light in my life, just like my wife is. I can have a bad argument with my kids or my wife, and they're willing to forgive me. And that is so awesome to to be able to have that opportunity to be forgiven and to start over. My wife is extremely good at it compared to me. She's willing to set her emotions aside and say, okay, let's just start over here. You know, this argument isn't worth it. Let's just start from scratch and know that I love you. And everything's going to be okay. And she is strong for me. My kids have learned that from her. I've constantly felt that my kids, this is to help them too. We haven't had difficult kids. And I should really knock on wood by saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Our our kids have just been loving and Christ-like. And I think a lot of it has to do with they see what their mom's going through with me. And they're willing to love and sacrifice like we've been trying to teach them. And they're willing to put, if dad needs something, I can drop what I'm doing and help him. And this is important. We all have that one grandparent as a kid that you go over to see them and they're like, wow, you finally showed up. You know, you haven't called me in three weeks. And you're like, seriously, I'm here now. You know, I have a busy life too. And I I have to set my time aside to see you. So I'm doing that right now. And then they complain about it. And I can see myself if I, I can fall into that trap. I can see it because 
my kids want to go out on dates or they want to go to Gravity Factory or they want to go hang out with their cousins, which they should be doing as kids. And I'm stuck at home going, man, I wish I could do, we bought a sawmill so that I have something to do outside because I would rather be outside than inside any day of the week. And so, but I need help. You know, the tractor, I can, I can move stuff around and get things where I want them to, but ultimately I need help turning things and I need help lifting things. And those are things I can't do. And I find myself angry that I can't have someone there to help me. And so that trap is a legitimate trap for all of us because we start thinking inward rather than thinking about what my kids are doing and they need time to be teenagers. Mm -hmm. You know, they need time to date or go have fun with their cousins because those are the memories that are going to, they're going to remember the good things in life and that's what's going to make them strong. I have to put their needs before my needs. I should definitely allow them the opportunity to grow and to become what they need to be and not put my selfish needs above theirs. I think that's the hardest thing. It takes a big person to to hit that mark. Yeah, and I'm not there yet. (laughs) I don't think any of us are, but what a great reminder. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's what Heavenly Father's taught me. You know, it's if you look at the Savior, he put other needs above his own, all of us. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't have had that picture on the wall because that's all I can think of. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful picture? It is. It's a picture of Joseph and Mary holding baby Jesus in the stable. And that, to me, is what sacrifice is. They sacrificed to get him here. He sacrificed to get us there. That's a great way to put it. The things that you've talked about are real. And there are so many people that have the same feelings and same Maybe not exact same struggle health-wise as you, but other struggles that cause them to feel down and, and, you know, and it's real. And the more we know about it and the more we're open about it, the more we talk about it, I think that's better for our mental health. I would agree with that. So I personally applaud you for being willing to open up and be vulnerable and, and share this stuff because it will ultimately help other people along their path. Well, I hope so. And I'm glad you asked me to do this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people to hear. Well, I hope so. so. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And to my listeners, remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye. <laughs>